0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. It is great to be back from our uh, missions trip. It was a great time in the Dominican Republic. Pedernales had an incredible team, got a lot done. Um, But there is something about getting home, being at your own house, being in your own bed. That was great. And uh, I will say, I mentioned to a few people that, you know, adjusting the time change, I feel like it's taken at least all week. And a few people specifically said, yeah, you're just not as young as you used to be. Um, And so I just appreciate that reminder. I just really, that was... Thank you for that. Um, And you know who you are. And there are other great churches out there if you want to maybe. So um, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, Anyways, no, it is good to be back. In fact, next week, we'll talk a little more. You'll see a little more about the trip as well as the trip that that we're planning uh, for 2024. We always take just over a year to really get things ready. So if you're looking for a missions trip, there's going to be an opportunity you'll hear more about next week, and there'll be an informational meeting after Easter. So uh, you can kind of keep your ears open for that. Um, We're in a series called Connect the Dots. Today is part four. I appreciated my wife Heather spoke last week and then Ryan the week before that. And I I will just say this. Heather is my favorite speaker. Um, I love listening to her. I think she does a great job. In fact, just so you know, um, she's always giving me thoughts for my message notes. And I love that. And then, of course, Ryan did a pretty good job, but he's in in a distant second for me um, for speakers. So anyway, but uh, no, Uh, we're we're actually going to be in a bunch of places today in scripture. So normally I'll give you one text that we really work through, but because of the topic today, there's a few things I kind of want to build a case for. So we'll get to that. Um, I've said before, I'm kind of a movie guy, uh, Heather and I love to go to the movies, dinner in a movie date night stuff. And, um, there's a movie I watched a while ago that, um, I don't remember. I watched it one time. I don't remember a ton about it. Um, and oddly enough, I definitely wouldn't recommend it, but it's the movie fight club. Um, how many of you have seen it? i like, that's a long time ago. I get it. But uh, if you've seen it, uh, there's a basic premise to the movie Fight Club. And the, the, there's uh, the rule, number one rule of Fight Club is <laughs> do not talk about Fight Club. And the number two rule of Fight Club is do not talk about Fight Club. And and I say that because um, I won't say any more about it, but there are groups of people that have decided there are certain things you just don't talk about. Fight Club is an example of that idea, but there's people that have said for years, never discuss religion or politics. So no Fight Club, no religion, no politics. And I'm sure that in your world, you have your own list of things you just don't talk about. And sometimes they're like things you verbalize before, like, hey, we don't talk about this or that. Other things in, in your world, you just have never talked about and and sometimes those are not great things or great examples of of why in marriage you don't communicate and you just kind of throw things under the carpet or whatever and and that's a bad you know thing to do but in church world there's there's still this conversation of things that just don't get talked about and I'm not sure again that that's necessarily healthy but I tend to lean towards at the top of that list of things you don't talk about in church um, would be money And so I want to welcome you today and I want to give you an exit, two to the front, two to the side, two to the back. Today, we're going to talk about money, and here's the deal. Jesus talked about money. Scripture over and over, as you and I read it, talks about money, and we're going to dive in because I think it's a really important conversation. When you read Scripture, you read things about money, about stewardship, about sacrifice, about Old Covenant, New Covenant, temple, New Testament church, all this stuff, and it's a big deal. Topics like tithing, giving and offerings, all of that kind of thing. And then there's this. If there's anything that clearly touches your life and my life, probably on a daily basis without fail, it's the filter of resources, money, bills, food, groceries, inflation, all the stuff, investments, retirement. Money is a big conversation. And if we look at the Bible and we open it up and we talk about like, hey, here's how to increase your prayer life and have effective prayer life, or here's how to you know uh, learn to be more gentle or move towards forgiveness, or here's the message of the cross and life in Christ and baptism and all that stuff why in the world if those things are important wouldn't we have a conversation about money because honestly it does touch our lives practically every day that we live and so it's an important conversation so here we are today on top of it is this One of the last quotes that you have in red letters in Scripture, aside from when you get to Revelation and John writing about this picture of the future, is this, I wouldn't say obscure, but this one spot where there's red letters all the way, two-thirds of the way into the book of Acts, in chapter 20, Luke quotes Jesus. Now, if you have a red-letter version of the Bible and you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's red letters everywhere because they're talking about Jesus living and teaching all that stuff. But there's this one reference two-thirds of the way through that Luke quotes Jesus as saying this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, that's actually a phrase that's common kind of in society. People have quoted it, didn't necessarily know it was from the Bible, but Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That appears in in, in one of our code. And and again, Heather took on last week the authentic conversation. Ryan took on the learning and pray hard, try new things. This week, we're talking about irrational generosity. In our code, or what some groups would call core values, it says this, we will lead the way with irrational generosity. We believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. And again, quoting straight from what Luke said, Jesus, you know, in, in red letters appears in Acts 20. What does it mean? How does that play out at the Grove Church? Because our Connect the Dot series is going, here's the code, here's the things that we kind of filter our decisions through, here's how it plays out in church. So how does this one work? How does it play out? And I'm gonna take you a bit on a journey today. Part of our language includes that you and I are stewards of all that God has entrusted to us. And ultimately, you and I are stewards together of the Great Commission, okay? So here's the thing. You go, well, Pastor you're in charge of the Great Commission. That, that That's your thing. That's the, the people that come into the office during the week and, and kind of do this church thing. Isn't that your job? And on one hand, you could say, yeah, my call, my challenge is to lead the way, but the whole idea is I'm trying to help you understand that we together are stewards of the Great Commission together. And And so we talk about this word stewardship all the time. Therefore, being stewards of the Great Commission means that all of us are stewards of our natural talents, stewards of our spiritual gifts, stewards of our God-given relationship connections, meaning we often talk about family, uh, neighborhoods we live in, friendships that we have, and places that we work, and people that we get to know there. So stewards of that, but also stewards of our financial resources to participate in what Paul calls the body of Christ. And so we all bear that responsibility. And, and, and most people are fine, like I said earlier, with the conversation about, hey, here's how to read the Bible better and, and kind of get a picture. We started this year with kind of an overview of the whole of the scriptures, Old Covenant to New. We talked about that. We talk, we talk about sometimes being stewards of or, 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 or in, being entrusted with the gifts that we have and using our spiritual gifts or like I said, how to have a better. And we go, that's great. But then when we start talking about money, we go, oh, no. Here he goes. And and I get how it can feel a little weird, but here's the thing. And some of you guys go, well, I invited a friend today. Just go, hey, look, friend, come back next week. Okay. So if you're new today, you're like, oh yeah, church and money. But here's the deal. We're not going to avoid it just because it can feel awkward. We're not going to avoid it just because it's been manipulated. We're going to talk about it because my hope is you and I can walk out of here, hopefully with a biblical worldview of financial stewardship. That's my hope. So as we jump in, there are some people that say, well, it shouldn't matter. But here's what we know. In church world, God doesn't just rain down money and then we just go ahead and, and pull it out of the air and do what we need to do. Just like in your own world, that doesn't happen. People joke all the time about, man, I wish I could grow a money tree in my backyard, right? Um, and if you live by Fred Meyer, there is one, but that, okay, that's, that's a horrible joke. That was like a dad joke right there. So anyway, next to Domino's, next to you know, curl your hair, or whatever that salon is, okay. Um, but, uh, okay. Sorry, forgive me for that, okay. Um, But just, listen, just like God doesn't volunteer in Grove Kids and volunteer on host team and volunteer to help park and volunteer to make online happen and volunteer to make you coffee, God doesn't volunteer raining money down from heaven. Here's how it works in all of those contexts, including resources. Instead, he uses us. Instead, he uses us. And I've said before, and and this is kind of the phrase that I've mentioned many times, the work of the kingdom has always been fulfilled by the people of the kingdom. And it's because God is taking us on a journey of transformation, and that includes the transformation of how you and I deal with or navigate the stewardship of our resources. Why does he do it that way? Let Let me jump in and say this. This is a model from old covenant to new. In the Old Covenant, you can read this, and I'm just going to give you a couple of samples. There's tons of them, but but an easy one is this. At the very last part of the Old Covenant is a prophet Malachi. We talked about this a few months ago. Malachi uh, is is trying to lead the people back to living in surrender to God, and he takes on all kinds of topics from idol worship to uh, to financial stewardship, and in chapter 3, he says this, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? The prophet is talking as if you know, God is saying this to the people. And the people go, well, how do we rob you? And the answer is, well, in tithes and offerings. The whole group of you. And then it says this in Malachi 3, chapter 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that will, there will not be room enough to store it. And so Malachi says, You're robbing God by not giving, carving out a sum of what you make and giving it to further kingdom work. And, and that's Malachi chapter three. Specifically, the prophet says, test me in this. And most theologians agree that is the only part of scripture where we're challenged to test God. Let me be clear. And we'll talk about sowing and reaping here in a little bit. We don't give in order to get. And what gets slippery and what gets manipulated at 3am on some weird channel where you're listening to some religious guy make you write a big check is this. I'm going to give and God's going to pour it all back on me. And that's why. That is not the motive. The motive for you and I giving has more to do with when God blesses us, we're called to be a blessing to others. As God blesses me, I want to be a blessing back, and that's how that works. And if by chance God is going to pour something back towards me, by all means, Lord, you can do that, but that is not our motive. Can I hear an amen? amen? At the same time, understand, Malachi reminds us, and we'll talk about New Covenant in a second, though, of the principle of sowing and reaping. Another spot, if you're taking notes, is Proverbs 3 verses 9 through 10, practical wisdom for living. And it says this honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. In an agrarian society, they would have been familiar with the idea of of bartering and trading based on, you know, cattle, sheep, and, 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 you know, grains, and all these things, and that's their source of currency, aside from coins and, and, and monetary things that are specific. And so when Proverbs talks about this, it's really reiterating or being reminded of what's said in Malachi. And so in the old covenant, it's this idea of tithe. And by the way, that word tithe, specifically old covenant, means 10%. Carve out, as Proverbs would say, the first part, that 10% I'm going to give it towards kingdom advancement. And for them, it would be temple work in the old covenant, believing that God is going to take care of what I need to do. Now let's talk about new covenant for a second. Because new covenant is a little different. And there are people that, that, would, that would argue, well, wait a minute. Is, if Jesus fulfilled the entirety old covenant law, am I bound to this idea of tithe? And I would say this. I think the writers of the new covenant are very careful, but they are not embarrassed to talk about this word Generosity. And the word generosity actually implies far more than just simply going 10% over here. And you'll see this picture as you continue to read the New Covenant over and over. It's like, man, they, they gave far beyond that. And again, every theologian I've ever read agrees they go beyond that 10%. They do something wildly generous, and I'll give you a couple of references. But let me, let me take a step back from that for a second and say this. Write down Matthew twenty three twenty three. In that chapter, Jesus is rebuking the religious leaders, and some would call it the seven woes, but Jesus says, woe to you, meaning things are not good to you, to the religious leadership, because they were missing it by a million miles. And one example he gives is about their giving. He says this, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin. And by the way, when he brings up those examples, because what they could have said is, you, you bring a 10% of your grain, 10% of your, your, your flocks and first fruits, 10%. He doesn't say that because those are the big things. He's saying you get so nitpicky about this, this, this dill bush that's growing up that you go, well, this is about 10% of it, or you weigh it out and go, here's 10% of these little pieces of dill, and I'm going to get, you get so specific and so legalistic about that 10%, but here's what you miss, and this is his point. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And then he says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. The reason I bring that up, I don't wanna skip that verse, is because what Jesus says is, this isn't getting tied to, I give this, but I act like a jerk over here. I I, I write a check in church world, but then I do whatever I want to do in my own little world over here and I'm okay. Because the religious leadership were great at, at the nuances and every jot and tittle of the law, but their hearts were in a terrible spot. And so I would remind all of us in this conversation, at the end of the day, it comes down to an issue of our hearts. Is my heart dialed in to what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in me? And yes, the conversation is far beyond finances. In the way of forgiveness. In the way, as he says, of justice and mercy. In a whole different realm of understanding. Look, what we're called to do is live in that place of surrender. Inviting, as my wife mentioned last week, inviting the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what he wants to do in our lives. And so the reminder, justice, mercy, faithfulness, there's another spot as you again get into the early church in Acts chapter two. I've mentioned Peter stands up at Pentecost and preaches a great sermon, and, and it says that the people were cut to the heart. Well, what do we do, Peter? They says, Repent and be baptized. 3,000 are added to the church. And then there's a paragraph at the end of chapter two that's worth you reading. I'm going to give you just a couple of verses at the end of it, but it basically talks about they gathered and they, they, they broke bread together, they encouraged each other, they, they listened to the teaching of the, the early church leaders. But then it also says this all the believers were together. And had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone as they had need. And against that picture. You're talking like extreme generosity in this conversation. You're talking like they, they, they did huge things in order to make sure that, that those that had need could be provided for, because there were some with means and some that didn't have so many means. Another spot at First Timothy six. It says. Uh, Paul is saying to Timothy as he's getting ready to lead in church world and and, and Paul's kind of fading off the scene and he would be martyred not too long later from here. But in 1 Timothy 6, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share in this way they will store up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And what Paul succinctly is saying is for those, and by the way, you have to understand this. When he says rich, he's using a play on words because he uses it two ways in these verses, but he's not talking about those that are like at the upper, you know, top 1% of of wage earners in our world. He's talking about if you have means beside affording hand-to-mouth meals and a roof and shelter and clothing, so he's literally talking about basically almost all of us in the room. He's not just saying those that are super wealthy, crazy, you know, uber rich. He says, command those who have means beyond their basic provisions to live generously. And it's that, and he admit, he, by the way, I think it's worth saying, he says, hey, God provides us, we can enjoy life. He's not saying we don't enjoy life, but he's also saying, don't forget the part of the filter of the things we've been entrusted. is our ability to invest in things that are eternal. And that's the point Paul makes to Timothy as he's challenging him to be a great leader in church. So number one, this is a model from old covenant to new or old testament to new. Number two, it's a test of our allegiance and our faith. A couple of questions to be, to be reminded of is this, do we prioritize God's design or our own? Do we prioritize God's design or our own? Do we believe that God is our provider? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24. Let me walk you through this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves or vermin break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths or rust do not destroy and vermin do not, uh, sorry, uh, vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Did you catch that? Jesus says, for any of us that, 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 that are, are, are wanting to live out generosity, make sure that you understand we, that that's part of our call to do that because whatever we do with our resources reveals our hearts. And, and for a lot of us, you could say this. If you log into your bank account and look at all your transactions over the last 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever length of time, that reveals where your heart is. Are you good with that? Is it as it should be through the lens of your faith in Christ? Or you go, yeah, I don't know that I'm walking out the kind of generosity that maybe I'm supposed to. Because Jesus says, wherever your resources go reveals exactly where your heart is. And then this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, he's not changing topics. He's on the same topic about you and I storing up things for eternity, advancing kingdom work. So when he says that, what he's saying is the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are generous, healthy, looking for a way to be a blessing with whatever I've been entrusted to help others understand faith in Christ, then that's a good thing. If your eyes are healthy, generous, looking for opportunity to bless, then guess what? Light is pouring out. But if your eyes are unhealthy and if you just picture somebody that lives and they're, they're, they're critical, they're skeptical, they're always thinking about their own selves and what they can get and however I can build the nest egg as long as I can have more and I can get and I can accomplish and I can, you know, succeed. If that's what the filter of our lives is about, then Jesus says, it's not healthy. It's not good. And, you, and he says, he's saying this, you can deceive yourself into thinking you're successful because it feels good, but it's actually a wicked darkness. He says, if the light within you is darkness, how great is it? And then he finally ends the same conversation with this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so the, the point, when Jesus talks about money, he compares it to mammon an alternative God that competes for our allegiance. And, and I love this thought. Um, he, Jesus is clear, we can't serve them both, but for some reason, there's always a temptation to try. And, and I would remind us of this. It's amazing how one day we can have something nailed and the next day we're challenged by it, right? How many of you guys would say, there are days where you go, man, I walked out, patience and, amaz- I was so patient, I'm so proud of myself. And the next day you're like, things didn't go so well, Right? <laughs> I mean, and anything can be like that. Man, I had a great prayer life. That week was a diligent week. And the next week, like, I don't think I prayed at all, you know? And and again, tons of examples like that. It's amazing how on one hand, when it comes to like financial resources, man, I want to walk out generosity. I want to be generous. And the next day we're like, it's what can I get? What can I do? What's about me? I need to make myself feel better by medicating with this thing I purchased or whatever. And we miss it. I, I would say it this way too. The beauty of that conversation is this. We're always a work in progress. And I love that God's grace is poured out that we continue to diligently follow and where we miss it, we go, Lord, forgive me, I'm blowing it. I want to get back on track. And by the way, that, that's like a daily and a weekly thing, right? I mean, me, you, like we walk this, I missed it, got it right, missed it, got it right, got it right, got it right, missed it, you know? So again, Jesus is reminding us that we can't serve two masters. I, it's a great point. Consistent, sustained giving is one of the most significant ways Christians can combat the temptation to put our money first. It's it's tangible. Nothing demonstrates the truth about our faith better than how we use our resources. When we trust God to provide and we're passionate about expanding his kingdom, we bring everything that we have to the table. And I've already mentioned the idea of you know natural talent spiritual gifts relationship connections including financial resources god here's all of it what do you want to do so number 2 it's a test of our allegiance a test of our faith number 3 you and i walking out generosity is a joy filled response to what god's done in us like and i love somebody said it this way years ago a heart touched by god wants to give a heart realizing all that you and I have received in grace and forgiveness and life and hope and success and career or whatever else it would be, our response is, God, you've blessed me so many ways. How can I be a blessing to you? How can I bless, I love you, Lord. I wanna show it because I'm excited about all that God has done. And how can our heart not be that way? When we were in Pedernales a couple of weeks ago, literally two weeks ago today, um, this guy spoke, did a phenomenal job. I mean, never never better sermon in the world. Um, They made me speak. Anyway, um, so that was, I know it was a bad joke, okay? Okay. no, we had the service and, and, and the worship, which, by the way, was louder than anything you can ever imagine. Uh, and then there was speaking, and, and we had some uh, altar time, and, and we were praying for different people and, and stuff like that. And um, after that, they, they had the band come up, and there was some playing, and a couple of people made the transition into giving. And, and here's what they did. Um, they brought in this chest, this kind of small chest thing, and they put it on the upfront middle and opened it. And I was like, okay, guys, it's time to give. And literally, people... Everybody's standing. People um, started making their way up, and they're putting money in. And and uh, and, first of all, we're we're gonna start doing that. So just so no, we're not gonna do that. Uh, Just kidding. Some of you guys are like, what in the world? Anyway, but here's the other part that happened. While the music is playing, people literally are kind of flooding out from where they're sitting and everybody's giving whatever they're giving. I'm not looking, but people are giving and, um, and, and they, they, we make our way back to our seats, but there were people, some people that stayed up and they were just kind of enjoying the music and pretty soon they're like dancing. The pastor starts dancing. 21 members of our missions team look over at me and go, why don't we do it this way? And I'm like, I'm not dancing like that. So anyway, but he had moves. I don't have moves, okay? Just to be clear. Uh, But here's what I love. There was such a joy in their ability to do something generous. And by the way, in their context, generosity is far different. You know why? Because I would wager that maybe possibly some of the richest people in this town are far poorer than anybody in the room here. And yet there they were doing something. It's not about always the amount. It's about realizing what God asks of us is, hey, are we walking out generosity? It's a joy-filled response to God's faithfulness. Second Corinthians 9 talks about God loves a cheerful giver. And we're going to get to that text in a minute, but it's not the manipulation. It's not me trying to twist your arm or make you cry or whatever. It's about realizing, wow, all that God has done, it's the least I can do to, to, to make an investment like that. That's for eternity. The fourth thing is this. It's putting to action the principle of sowing and reaping. Over and over, scripture is very clear. Old covenant and new covenant, sowing and reaping is a reality. Reaping is only activated by sowing. That's not new for anybody. I've always loved landscape and plants and lawns and, and nice stuff, all that, you know, uh, mowing and everything. But for us, over the years, every, you know, spring, summer, Heather and I will buy some new plants or trees and, and plant them in our yard. But what if I got inspired by, she loves these magnolia trees and, and man, we gotta, we gotta do this magnolia tree thing. And I found a, a, a bunch of dirt in my front yard and I didn't plant anything in it, but I just started watering it. And I'm just waiting for that magnolia tree to come up. You're like, that's stupid. Why? Cause you didn't plant a magnolia seed. In the same way for you and I, you don't activate reaping without sowing. It's a biblical principle. Jesus even said it. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Real quick. Jesus is taking on all kinds of topics in Luke chapter 6. He's taking on forgiveness and prayer and all this stuff. And at one point when he talks about generosity, talks about giving, he says this, give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. To be very clear about what Jesus is saying here, he's talking to to the nation of Israel as he's teaching this. Remember, in that context, Israel is under Roman occupation. Most people in that society at that point are living hand to mouth. The only people that typically had means in that context would have been the religious leadership, unfortunately, because they were manipulating people and tax collectors. Everyone else didn't have a lot. And yet Jesus was telling them all, hey, give and it'll be given unto you. My heavenly father wants to bless you. I'm not saying this whole thing to manipulate the conversation that I'll give and you'll be blessed, but it's the nature of sowing and reaping. And there's no way around it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, I'm going to read a bunch here. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you, again, to be clear, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. I'm going to skip the rest for the sake of time today. If you read all the way through 11, it's reiterated in other ways, but clearly about sowing and reaping. And Paul is saying to the church, this is what God expects of all of us. And finally, number five, others are inspired when you and I live by faith. Let, let, me, let me transition the conversation for a second. So far, what I've kind of done is kind of built the theological framework for you and I walking out generosity. But let me turn the conversation away from you and me and what God does in us in this journey. And just say this, it's even more important to understand that we exist as a church. And part of our code says this, we don't exist for us. We exist for the world. What do I mean by that? What I mean is a few weeks back we baptized 40 people and if you were here it's one big party and we'll do it again if you need to be baptized we're going to celebrate with you but over and over a lot of the stories on baptism Sundays include here's what I used to do here's who I used to be here's what my life used to look like and then Jesus. Here, here, here's how things used to go and here's an addiction or here's a broken relationship, or, or, but then there's Jesus. And the reason I bring it up is this, set aside the whole thing of what God is doing in you. That's great and that's important, but what about the idea that we don't even exist for us? That we exist for a world that needs Christ. And that as a church, absolutely, we talk about that, that people need the message of the gospel of Jesus' forgiveness through the blood that was shed for you and for me. And it's not just for us, it's for this world. But it's up to us to steward all of it that the world would know. Why does that matter? Because tonight, there's a couple that's going to go to bed so mad at each other, having dealt with all this conflict, and they don't know what to do. And they're leaning towards an affair. They're leaning towards separation. They're leaning towards divorce. And yet, I, would, I go, man, if only they understood, but Jesus... And there are stories of this room of marital reconciliation because Jesus. Why does it matter? Because as a church, I look at this world and my heart breaks for the insecurity our young people feel over their identity and not understanding who they are and wondering if they were created to be this or that or male or female or furry or whatever else. And it breaks my heart that they have to face this battle. And I want to I want you to hear this. My heart goes out. But I also understand through the lens of my faith in Christ that they were created by God. And Psalm 139 reminds us they were knit together in their mama's womb. And they were created with a purpose. And they have an identity in him. And I found out a long time ago, I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I am established by God. My hope is in him. And when I hear anxiety for young people, especially girls, is at an all time high and more and more, they they begin to cross the line of wanting to end it. And suicide is part of the conversation. That shouldn't just make you go, that's so sad. It should make us realize why I value having a youth ministry I can feel proud of. Why on Wednesday nights our young people can gather junior high and senior high and, and, and find a place of hope and, and acceptance and healing right here. It's why I love tutoring. As I've said before, something sure it costs resources. But I love how we have young people that can come and, and they're not succeeding in school, but they can feel not only that they can be successful but cared for. And so we have tutoring. It's why Grove Kids matters, and I love hearing the stories that are coming out of our Grove Kids ministry of kids that are giving their lives to faith in Jesus, realizing their identity in him. It's why connect two, three on Wednesdays, connect four, five for second, third graders, fourth, fifth graders, getting some discipleship, more than just entertainment, celebrating, hey, man, we crossed the 200 mark in our Grove Kids ministry on Sundays. That's awesome, but a place for kids. It's why we do the neighborhood. People that might never show up on a Sunday can feel cared for on Tuesday nights. It's why we do iHeart every summer. Trying to show people we care about our world, our communities. It's why we have a giant party on Halloween. Oh, you celebrate Halloween? We don't celebrate Halloween, we have a party. And invite people to come in and find a safe place to to experience you and I shining light. It's why we do all that we do. But yes, it takes resources. And so it's why we've talked about this legacy thing. You've already heard it. Most of you, it's on the wall over here on, as you exit, figuring out how to build what we're supposed to build. Why? To make room. Why? Because I've said before, this place has not grown a square foot since 1986. And yet this community has grown exponentially from I think 12,000 to about 72,000 people. That's a reason to make room. You know, the other reason, look around you. There's not a lot of seats. I've said before, creating empty seats during optimal time. So we're going to build, we have to, we got to do something. And we're trying to do it sooner than later. And, And yet we got our bids in about a month and a half ago. That was fun because a year ago we talked about a number and then we got our bids and went, oh, wow. I guess we'll just have 10 services. No, but honestly, we're like, what do we do? And I'll tell you this, we're working diligently to move those numbers down. Talk about value engineering. Some of you guys understand what that means. Talk about some commercial connections to certain businesses that can make donations or at least cut costs for us on some of the materials. We have some of those connections. By the way, if you're one of those, let us know. You can email RyanLoffer at grove.church. Our Lauffer, I think it's right up here. lawfer at grove.church. It'll help bring the cost down. We talk about scope cut. Okay, you know what? Maybe we can't do all we wanted to do all at once. Let, let's, let's figure out our portion we have to set aside for now. We'll do a portion of it to make room. How do we do this? But the other part is the legacy campaign. And let me be really transparent for a second. Our goal, we talked about, we want to raise, you know, $3 million. And, and we talk about, it takes all of us for we to win. Just of our membership, those that have signed on the dotted line, I'm a member of the Grove Church. We have just about 50% of the people that have pledged or given. And I'm just saying that not to make you feel terrible, but just to let you know, if it takes all of us for we to win and only half, And by the way, aside from membership of those that attend the Grove Church, maybe you haven't crossed the line of membership yet. We're we're just over 30%. What I want to challenge you with is considering to step up because we're trying to make room and figure this out and reach people because it does matter. And by the way, I'll just say this, the legacy campaign's one thing, and it started in December and it's 36 months. So we got about 33 months left. and, and it's not about the amount, by the way, by, just a little story. We had a gal that nine years old battling cancer, but was so impacted by what God did in her heart at Grove Kids that she made a pledge a legacy campaign of $7 and some change. It's not the amount. <laughs> it's about all of us. And if, again, I talk about legacy campaign and, and, and challenging to step up, but here's the deal. If you have not made a commitment to, like I said earlier, sustained, consistent giving, You can use the word tithe if you want to, offering, giving, generosity, however you want to say it. Can I challenge you? If Grove Church is your home, whether you're a member or not yet, would you take a step? Because it does take all of us. There are certain conversations we wouldn't even have to have if we were all part of walking out generosity. And I know, know the money thing and now I'm feeling manipulated. That's not my goal. I'm just trying to tell you where we're at and what's up. And at the end of the day, I want to challenge all of us this comes down to an issue of the heart. And what God asks of all of us is to live open handed. Lord, where am I gr- grabbing too hard? Where am I holding on too much? And again, you can talk about all kinds of topics forgiveness, grace, love, all the stuff. But today, when we talk about irrational generosity, the reason we even use the word irrational, because that sounds irresponsible, what we mean is this. When the Holy Spirit says, take a step, it's not up to us to go, well, how does that all work? It doesn't always, we don't get all of it all the time, but it's believing, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do, I want to trust. I want to believe that you're going to take care of the implications as I take the right step. Jesus today, I just pray together that, that, that through the work of your spirit in all of our hearts, God, we would take seriously what it means to move forward. And I pray that where, where people would walk out of here with some sort of guilt or shame, that that just would not land. But that God, it would be this, this work of you that compels all of us that we're in this together. And it's not a game, it's not a checking a box, It's not a spiritual, whatever. It's this dynamic of relationship between me and you, us and you and what you wanna do that we could be the kind of stewards. So we invite your spirit to work. We invite your spirit to move in us, to help us understand what it means to take a step to fill out the envelope, to go online, to whatever. God, I pray that we wouldn't just simply go, that was nice and I'm leaving, but that Lord, we're compelled through your spirit to take a financial step because it should be all of us for we to win. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.